This is Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, the Channelnomics podcast that connects you with channel chiefs, thought leaders, and executives about what it takes to get the next generation of tech to market. Here's your host, Larry Walsh, the CEO and Chief Analyst of Channelnomics. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Changing Channels. As Lydia said, I'm Larry Walsh, and this is the final episode of Changing Channels for 2021. In fact, at this point, 2021 may already be in the books, and what a year it's been. We've seen continuous change, persistent disruptions, problems we didn't anticipate, like all the supply chain disruptions, and the ongoing evolution of the channel. For much of the past year, Channelnomics has tracked these changes on Changing Channels with our experts and industry-leading guests. And what a roster of guests and topics we've had in this first year of our podcast. Some of the things we've talked about on Changing Channels include you know, the adoption and the continuing growth of marketplaces, how to build sales cultures, productive relationships between inside sales, field sales, and your partners, and building sustainability as a value proposition of channels. Um, the entire notion of customer experience as both a value, uh, value proposition as well as a KPI. And speaking of KPIs, how KPIs are even evolving and how we are changing the way we're measuring and evaluating partner performance. Of course, we've also talked about things like enabling influencers and pricing strategies and investing in partners and partnerships and many more topics. Uh, in fact, it, it feels like there's too many to list across the 26 episodes we've had over the past year. So the Channelnomics team and I want to share some of the highlights from these 26 shows. These are some of our famous and more memorable moments. And this is just a way for us to show some of the things that you've missed or may have missed as we went through this extraordinary year, 2021. One of the great things about my job is I get to talk to so many great channel leaders. And one of the things that is notable is how channel chiefs tend to move around from job to job. They change roles, they change companies. Um, and just because they have a lot of experience, it doesn't mean they actually just plug in and go. It requires a fair amount of acclimation. And somebody who knows how to do this because she's done it a few times is our friend, Lori Cormesser, who this past year became the vice president of of channel sales at SciCognito. Now, Lori is really articulate about her vision on how to succeed as a new channel chief. And, you know, this is important for many people because the average tenure of a channel chief is typically less than three years. So we had Lori on to and asked, and asked her to talk about her take on what it takes to succeed as a new channel chief and achieve the success in that small window that most of her peers find themselves. Even though the average channel chief doesn't exist that long, you've got to be able to create that blueprint and that story um, because that's going to fuel the investments, that's going to fuel the focus. And internally, they've got to be aligned to here's how you're contributing to growth. Here's how you're creating to channel lift. You know, I'm big on channel lift. I want to be in places that my sales teams are not. How can I start to guide my partners in those ways? Um, and so even though I may not be there to kind of see that through, that was a true uh, testament, you know, with Infoblocks, we kind of had that three-year plan and we kind of got through that vision, but now they're kind of on a journey to a next path um, and they're going to see that through. And the next person that comes in has a lot that they can leverage from that. Um, and by the way, we're a small community. 
Um, and so we share ideas and knowledge. And I had a lot of channel chiefs reach out about previous roles or things that they were stepping into that I might know about, right? And so it's about kind of forging not only what's best for, you know, the company and for how you're selling the story, but also for the channel chief that comes in next. That's one of the boxes you open right away when you move, right? <laughs> yeah, dude, don't throw that box away. Don't throw that box away. Define that early and agree on that. And that's what we've done here. Like in the first three weeks, we're very clear about, okay, they already have the three-year vision. They already know what the metrics are that we're defining, right? We're still kind of a work in progress on some of that. But they're very clear that we are looking for partner recruitment in areas where we don't have coverage or capability. We're clear on now our profile of our ideal partner and we are defining focus partners. So now we've got metrics to say, how are we gonna track with our focus partners? How are they building pipeline? How are they closing opportunities? And then how are we doing with recruitment? It's simple right? Define that early, get alignment to it. And now you have to create your own internal campaign, mm -hmm. which means that every week you're talking about something that draws back now to those metrics to keep people interested, keep them excited about the things that we're doing and make sure that they understand the things that we're doing and how that creates impact. A recurring theme at, in many channel conversations is how do you know the partners are performing? How do you know the programs are working? And the common refrain is key performance indicators. And so that's why when I get together with channel leaders and channel chiefs, uh, we often get to, we often start talking about what are the best KPIs? What are the things we need to measure that, what are the most important measures there are in demonstrating channel value? Um, we had this conversation last summer with our friend Christian Alvarez, the Senior Vice President of Worldwide Channel Sales at Nutonix. And Christian really does a great job of explaining what channel KPIs are, how to define them or how to create them, and also what they mean in terms of their importance to demonstrating or articulating channel value, both internally to management as well as to partners. Look, Channel Lift is uh, partners that are driving value. They, they come in early into an opportunity. They have uh, their own uh, sales process, be it MedPick, their own you know, discipline around qualifying an opportunity. And if a partner is early and often integrating your solution um, and, and really driving that value, um, that to me is partner lift. Um, when it's, especially if it's a new logo, um, that customer was uh, found by the partner. That is my definition of partner lift. Mm -hmm. And I would also have to complement it by saying that, you know, sales autonomy, channel sales autonomy to me is something that is something I'm obsessed with lately. It's something I think about every day, especially in today's subscription and consumption-based economy, our world is changing, right? How customers are procuring and consuming technology is evolving. And I don't think, Larry, you would disagree, nor your audience would disagree that it is going to continue to evolve. And the yeah. channel and distribution is under tremendous pressure. Partner Lift is all about driving value. 
manufacturers like Nutanix and many others, we have the responsibility. And that's why I love your show and, and, and all the different subject matter experts and my colleagues that you have on often. I'm a huge fan, by the way, Larry. Um, <laughs> we have a responsibility to help our partners continue to drive value, to drive lift. A lot of the vendors that we work with talk about the importance of channels and partners in reaching the market and servicing customers. And surprisingly, though, channel chiefs often find themselves in conflicted positions. They have to not only demonstrate the value of their channel programs and partners, but they also have to defend it to those who doubt that the partners are contributing. Uh, you know, this is the classic getting a seat at the table equation that you have to have a voice with management and management has to understand what you're doing to contribute to their goals. And frankly, one of the people, and I say frankly, somewhat with a pun intended, frankly, one of the people who articulates this best is our friend Frank Rausch, the head of Worldwide Channel Sales at Checkpoint. And he did a great job when he appeared on cha uh, Changing Channels to describe what it takes to get that seat at the table, use scorecards and other metrics to gain mind share and convince you know, leadership and management of what the value of the channel is. Yeah, I'll give, I'll give you I'll give you an example where I'll give you two examples where where kind of where I used to live and where I live now. So you know, when you look at the VMware agenda, you know the VMware agenda, and you know Pat did a phenomenal, phenomenal job in terms of getting everybody's head wrapped around this agenda. Was hey, we were we are great at vSphere. Now we need to be able to spin up four or five other businesses that are gonna be substantial business. So that's that's kind of the VMware, that's kind of the bad. If you look at Gil, Gil is, Gil is more, hey, we need to be able to expand our customer base. We need to be able to go from network security to cloud security or to now what we're calling harmony. The reason I bring this up is if you understand exactly what's important to them and you do a gap analysis, and you understand what they're capable of doing internally and where those gaps really exist, then you match the gaps to their priorities, then you match their priorities to your KPIs, then you have a fighting chance. Let me tell you the opposite of what that looks like. So oh, this, gonna be, this is gonna be good. You, oh yeah, if you wanna get launched, uh, I mean, literally in front of the room, here's what you do. Just have a bad quarter. Everybody is just sour-faced at the boardroom table. They're looking for the next victim on the, on the agenda. And you come up and you say, hey, look at the channel. Look at how, look at, it's all green. All the metrics are all green. We absolutely killed it. We killed it. I know you don't understand all these things, but, you know, with, with you know, with, with deal reg, with, with the joint customer calls, with joint planning sessions, joint meetings, et cetera. And they just had a bad quarter and there's no alignment to what you were driving and what they expected and where they missed. You will get the boot and you will never get invited back. Many vendors come to Channelnomics asking about what are the best incentives for driving partner behavior and getting better results from partners in the field. Uh, in the past, this was pretty tried and true. We'd have a lot of common tools, deal registration, market development funds, rebates and spiffs, but the world's changing. And one of the people we had on Changing Channels this year 
was our friend Joe Scoia, the Senior Vice President of Worldwide Channel and Partner Sales at Proofpoint, who is very clear that the days of the old incentive models are over, that we as an industry need to embrace new models, new tools, new incentives that have a greater impact on driving partner behavior and, and channel outcomes. The old days of um, either giving a partner a spiff or some type of, of gift or reward or something like that, those days are gone. I mean, to be completely honest with you, that's not how their businesses are being run. It's not how they're being comped. Um, you know, I, I, I always look at incentivizing the right behaviors, whether they're internally to my team or to our partners. And, and how we do that is um, it's changed. And, and it's more about experiences. And I know people have talked about what experience is, but if I could operationalize and, and make that experience with, with our organization better, that's where you see more traction, right? So it's, it's, it's this operationalizing and making things easier to do business with. Um, I always like to say simple, stupid, right? And I know that's, that's, that's maybe too simple, but it's, it's, it's my approach to everything is how do we eliminate a lot of that friction, right? You know, that channel friction or friction of doing business if I can just help tweak a few things to, to, to help a partner, either give them a program or show them, give them a playbook, right? A simple playbook of here's how we've had success. Here's how others have success. Let me teach that to you. That's more invaluable than everything, right? Because that's teaching them how to fish. And, and for that, you know, you can, you know, they attach services to it. And for them, it's a, it's a huge multiplier. There's not a day that goes by that someone isn't talking about how marketplaces are disrupting the channel. My opinion is, is that marketplaces aren't disrupting the channel. They're becoming an augmentation of the channel, a new part of the channel. And one of the interesting things about marketplaces or the marketplace model is that it is turning vendors into sellers or resellers. And one of the places where this is truly taken root, and when I say taken root, I mean generating billions of dollars in sales is at Microsoft with their co-sell program, where Microsoft sellers are actively pushing the product of their partners. And Alyssa Fitzpatrick, the general manager of Worldwide Partner Sales at Microsoft, joined us on Changing Channels to explain the entire paradigm shift and where Microsoft became the partner to the partner. Well, so that, that is absolutely our goal. Our goal is to bring in as much of the technology innovation as we can and harvest that for our customers. And our goal is really to make that um, discoverable by our customers directly. And so ideally, we want our partners to bring forth their expertise and their innovation and, and share that on our marketplace, because then we can build our collaborative uh our sales models together for our customers. And then our customers can come to our marketplace and do self-discovery. That is the way they're buying today. So we want to meet them in that, that desire to go and do that self-education. And so we're asking our partners to really come to us with your solutions, understand your space and understand your customers so that we can really help you articulate and differentiate yourself in our marketplace so that you become discoverable not only by our customers, but also by other partners who are building partner to partner route to markets, as well as by our sellers who actually go into our marketplace and look for solutions. And so the way that we wire that up is to really make sure that our sellers 
are finding the solutions that are relevant in their local markets. And then our partners are finding the same. Partners are discovering other partners. And then our customers can then really harvest the marketplace to find the solutions that they need. And so when you think about Microsoft and how we reach our customer, it is in three ways. It's through a seller, through our partners, engaging with other partners, and through our marketplace. All three routes to market are powered by our partners. And so we don't go alone and we want to really expose and promote our partner solutions because that makes our customers much more um, satisfied as well as they're, they're meeting their objectives. Now it pains me to admit this, particularly after a year like 2021, which felt like a decade in and of itself, to say that the world is getting older, at least my part of the world is, the average middle manager is a millennial, you know, somewhere between 37 and 41 years old. And the reason why I bring up a generational, a generational label is because millennials are the decision makers now, and they are increasingly looking to buy through mediums like digital sales mechanisms and marketplaces. And this is causing a lot of vendors to shift their go-to-market strategy around marketplaces and encouraging partners to adopt digital sales strategy and digital sales mechanisms. One of the companies that's doing a fantastic job of facilitating marketplace sales is AppSmart. And our old friend, Renee Bergeron, the Senior Vice President and General Manager at AppSmart, joined us to talk about how they've created a platform that has become a trusted advisor to trusted advisor, helping partners facilitate sales securely and safely on behalf of their customers through this online medium? I think they're going to coexist, um, but I do believe that they're going to be an important um, part of any vendor and, and provider revenue. I mean, years ago, Mark Benioff said that in order for him to reach the next billion dollar level, uh, I think it was 10 at the time, right? The channel would have to be a certain portion. So partners, right, would have to be a certain portion. I think now these providers, whether it's Salesforce or any others, are recognizing that they're going to have, they may have their own marketplace, but their marketplace are going to be uh, technology specific and they recognize that there are technology agnostic uh, marketplace that are going to feature um, prominently in the revenue streams uh, for them and we certainly uh, believe that and we're uh, investing in support of that belief and you know we're um, we're seeing tremendous growth which reaffirms that uh, there is there is a need in the market and it is indeed a growing portion of the revenue for providers people who know me know that i am no fan of the kardashians and i have never seen an episode of keeping up with the kardashians but i have to say i admire the influence that they have in popular culture uh, and in fact the topic of influencers is something that is increasingly coming up in the channel. Many vendors want to know how to tap into the power of influencers, or as we have defined it in the B2B channel, as companies that know about opportunities but are non-transacting in technology sales. And that's why we invited our friend Bill Kate, the Vice President of Marketing and Channels at Zebra Technologies, to come talk about the entire program that Zebra built around tapping into influencers 
to reach new customers and drive more sales to and through partners? Well, you know, it, it also comes back to the customer. I mean, it is the customer that helps us identify who these relationships are based on uh, who they're relying on to help influence them. I, uh, there was a study I recently read that said that a business buyer relies on as many as five different influencers to help them make a final decision. So we're not looking at identifying uh, influence partners uh, just generically. We're doing it based on specifics of where the industry is going and where our, our customers are going. So uh, yeah, it, we work very closely with our customers to help identify which kind of influencers that they rely on. In November of 2020, HP launched its Amplify program, a new way of structuring channel programs and partner relationships. And Channelnomics played a role in the development and the launch of Amplify, which I really have to say is an amazing experience for myself and my team. Um, but one of the things that we took away from that engagement was the importance of sustainability as a value proposition. And HP has made sustainability a tenant of its channel strategy and its partner relationships. And there's an entire program called HP, HP Amplify Impact, which encourages partners to adopt sustainability being environmentally friendly, but also what we call in the industry DEI, diversity, equality, and inclusion. Um, sustainability is increasingly a litmus test for many buyers. They're looking for su suppliers that are ecologically and environmentally friendly, and that they have sound policies for treating their people and treating the world around them. And HP is one of the companies leading the way in sustainability. Our friend, Mary Beth Walker, the head of global channel strategy at HP, not only oversaw the development of Amplify, but she is continuing to shepherd Amplify Impact in the sustainability program through the channel into a higher level of adoption and fruition. And Mary Beth joined us to talk about why sustainability is such an important issue, particularly in channel relationships. We are one of the leading technology companies in the sustainable uh, impact arena. Uh, we've actually said that we want to be number one technology company by 2030 in this area. And we've invested, you know, just millions and millions of dollars into this area. And when we looked at what's the, you know, what are some of the ways that we can really expand our reach and really go to the next level? We said we have to include our partners for a couple of reasons. One is we have to over time make sure that we are dealing with partners who are dealing with sustainability, that they not only have plans, but that they are able to stand up to why their uh, customers should create preference for HP based on the sustainability that we build into our products and services. They also need to have a sustainability plan for their company. It's becoming not only more important to customers but to employees as well, and 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 investors. You know, um, the, there's like over 800 investors now who look at the CDP rankings when they decide what companies to invest in. That's just a huge, huge statement going forward, and where things are going. But we also said, you know, we have a lot of small partners 
who they don't have the money that we do. They don't have the resources that we do to invent their own training for their employees, to be able to create their own programs and collaterals for initiatives around recycling and things like that. So why wouldn't we share with them what we've done and what we've already invested in and put our money into? So uh, we just are so excited about the program. We rolled it out a couple of weeks ago now. Um, the goal is for us to have half of our Amplify partners on the program by 2025, um, but we've gotten out of the gates really strong. The interest has been phenomenal, and we really look forward to, you know, continuing to enrich the program and enrich what we're able to offer to partners through the program. Around the technology industry and in the channel, we use terms like evolution and digital transformation to mark how things are changing. And, and the market is definitely changing. The way that we sell, deliver, and support, the way that customers consume technology is definitely changing from transactional to services-based. Over the next few years, virtually everything will be sold as a subscription or on some form of consumption model. We've had this model for a while, you know, since the mid 2000s when managed services first took root, we have been dealing with the value proposition of, of technology being delivered as a service. Um, as we continue to push more technology and more products into the services model, another factor is going to become increasingly important and that is that that is the issue of customer experience. The customers are voting on the value that they perceive in their technology investments based on the totality of their experience with both the brand that's supplying the, supplying the technology, as well as the partner that is facilitating it. Now, a company that is really pushing customer experience as a value proposition and is something that partners need to pay attention to is Cisco. Cisco has launched an entire practice around partner lifecycle uh, partner lifecycle services. And the person who is driving this initiative for Cisco, Denzel Samuel, the head of global customer experience and partner practice at Cisco, he is really pushing partners to understand the importance of not just being reactive in service delivery, but being proactive and anticipatory, being able to help the customer before the customer even knows they need help. Denzel joined us to talk about what Cisco is doing in terms of driving customer experience to partners as that value proposition. I think it, it starts really with you and I as consumers, right? You and I as consumers, we've seen that experience and the experience we get from a business plays a big part in our decision-making. So same is true with the business-to-business -business customer. As a matter of fact, what we're beginning to see more and more, if you look at pre-COVID, um, customer experience was probably eight or nine on a CEO's checklist or list of priorities. If you look at where we are today, any CEO will tell you that customer experience is one or two, right? We've just had to become better at that because it's been so difficult to maintain those relationships that, that we've had in a digital format, right? It's been, it's been difficult. So then you have to make sure customer experience is pivotal in that. Secondarily though, you also have to be driving outcomes. And the experience that the customer wants now is don't sell me something, show me an outcome, show me how the, the stuff that you're selling to me, whether it's a solution or, a, or hardware or software is going to drive a business outcome for me. 
It's going to help me reduce my cost. It's going to help me increase my revenue. It's going to help me improve my security. That's what they're looking for. And if you can do that and give them an outcome that's driven by an experience you create for them, you're going to win every time. And that's really at the core of what we're doing here at Cisco. Yeah, I, I think um, you mentioned this at the beginning of the of the conversation that we're leading the way. I, I really do believe we're leading the way. I, I think that this is all about the customer journey experience, right? From And if you take the traditional I-layer, right, from identify, land, adopt, expand, and renew, at every touch point along, we call it the racetrack, at every touch point along that racetrack, at every pit mm-hmm. stop in that racetrack, what is the experience that that customer is having? Are we driving value for them? And if we can think about it that way, if we can think about every step of that end-to-end customer journey experience, we drive a very, very different value proposition for that customer. And our partners are understanding that. Our partners are absolutely embracing that. And Larry, you, you know, in a company as large as Cisco, it, it starts with, with teaching ourselves, right? It starts with educating our own employees. Every single employee that touches a partner or touches the customer that's who we need to really train and enable first as we take this message out further. You know, after producing 26 episodes over the past year, it was really hard to pick a few highlights to show you on this best of 21 uh, episode. Um, I really do encourage you to go back and look at all of the episodes we've produced over the past year. The people who have joined us on Changing Channels truly have some of the best insights and experiences in the industry. And we're going to continue to do this in the 22 and beyond. We really appreciate you supporting Changing Channels, being our viewers or our listeners, giving us the feedback you do. At Channelnomics, we are here to help improve the state of the art uh, in the channel for everyone, for vendors, distributors, and partners. Uh, and that's why you can continue to find us sharing with you these insights through Changing Channels, because we want to impart as much information as we possibly can. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't say a few words of thanks to the people who put in a lot of hard work to make this podcast ha- podcast happen. Uh, first up, I'd like to say thank you to Layla Kaiser who and my team, who has been instrumental in developing and ensuring that this podcast goes off every week like it does. Um, my team here at Channelnomics, Cindy Herndon, Chris Gonzalez, Bren Nettesheim, Alex Nordlinger, and a whole cast and crew that stand behind that work with the vendors and the distributors and partners day in and day out, providing research, strategy, and insights um, that really are making the channel a better place for everyone who's involved. And of course, I want to thank our friends here at Mod Pod Studios, because without them, we would not be able to put out the quality of a, of a show that we do. But the best and most thanks goes to you. You know, without you, we wouldn't have a reason for doing the podcast. And so that's why we do this. We are truly here for you. And we really appreciate you subscribing and sharing with your friends and giving us the feedback so we can continue to create great content for you. So until the next time we see each other or the next time you drop in on Changing Channels, be well, and we'll look forward to hearing from you and seeing you again in 2022. Until next time, I'm Larry Walsh. Thank you for joining Changing Channels with Larry Walsh, a production of Channelnomics, with the support of our production team at Modern Podcasting. If you've enjoyed today's episode, hit the like button, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and share with your friends. For more information about Channelnomics services and insights, 
Follow us on Twitter and YouTube and check out our website at channelnomics.com. Channelnomics is a registered trademark of and changing channels is copyright by 2112 Enterprises, LLC.